Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. Following on from our interview with Deirdre Hennessy, I wanted to find out more about the success of white clover at Clonakilty Agricultural College and how it can be implemented at farm level. Clover researchers Brian McCarthy and Breed McLaren give us an insight to some of the findings and firstly Brian explains the layout of the experiment. The title of the experiment is um, was the effect of tetraploid and diploid swards sown with and without white clover on the productivity of spring mill production systems and I suppose we set up the trial in 2012 and 2013 and kind of the reasons why we were looking at ploidy and, and white clover were Number one, um, Michael O'Donovan had done a lot of work looking at um, different cultivars and their effect on milk production per cow. And he'd seen that the big effect was that tetraploid cultivars were able to support higher milk production per cow during the main grazing season. Um, And we wanted to look at that over uh, a full grazing season over a number of years. And then secondly, in terms of the white clover, Deirdre Hennessy had started... um, doing a bit of work on, on white clover and had seen the benefits of it. Um, and basically we wanted to incorporate um, white clover into a, a system with a, a higher stocking rate than would have previously been done uh, in terms of literature and also at higher levels of uh, nitrogen fertilizer than would have previously been undertaken. And when you refer to, you're looking at different ploidies, so you're looking at tetraploid, diploid, yes. and including including clover in both. Yeah, so basically, in terms of the trial then, we had four grazing treatments, um, a tetraploid-only sward, uh, a diploid-only sward, tetraploid with clover, and a diploid with clover. And um, so within the tetraploid swards, then we had four cultivars. Um, basically, they were kind of the four best cultivars tetraploid cultivars available to us at the time, Aston Energy, Kintyre, Dunluce and Twimax. Um, so they were sown five times around the farm um, as a monoculture and then five times uh, with white clover. Um, and the same thing then for the diploid swards. So the diploid cultivars were um, Torella, Aberchoice, Drumbo and Glenvae. Um, again, sown five times as a monoculture and five times with white clover. So that basically gave us a farmlet of 20 paddocks of each um, for each treatment, uh, stocked at 2.75 cows per hectare and all receiving 250 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare per year. And just looking at that, when you started out in 2012, 2013, these must have been all new reseeds if you're setting out new paddocks. Would that be right? Yes. So basically... 75% of the experimental area was receded in 2012 and then we the remaining 25% was receded in early 2013. And and just talk through what was happening on say this piece of ground before you started this experiment with the dairy cows. So basically the the, the farm in Clonakilty was being run as a commercial dairy farm with one research one commercial dairy herd and the followers and um it was a closed system so they were making all their silage and so on. And the history of the ground that we kind of took for the the research trial, I suppose, uh, would have been in long-term tillage previously and then would have been, I suppose, in heavy two-cut silage system. Um, So, you know, 
quite tough on the on the ground, um, and maybe the the P's and K's probably weren't hectic, and term and the lime obviously needed to be worked on as well. So, um, it's fair to say that the the soil fertility needed improving. If we turn our attention then to the results breed, did we see differences uh, between the grass and the grass clover swords? Uh, yeah, so um, we would have looked at herbage production and then obviously the milk production from the cows grazing um, the four different sward types. Um, initially, like we wouldn't have seen a huge difference between uh, herbage or milk production um, between the ploides or the cultivars. Uh, but then the inclusion of clover would have had significant benefit effects. Um, so if we looked at herbage production um, over the four years, um, the grass and white clover swords produced an additional 1.2 tonnes of dry matter per hectare per year. Um, so the average grass only swords would have produced 15 and a half, where your grass white clover would have produced 16.7. Um, but uh, for the white clover content then of the swords, um, we would have seen a significant reduction. Um, so the swords were receiving 250 kilograms of nitrogen per year, um, which is the upper limit. Um, so in 2014, we initially had an average about 36% clover in the sword, um, and that reduced down to about 14 and a half in 2017. So talk talk through that again. You're saying that it started off, it was really high at 36% and now you're down to 14.5%. Yeah. Talk through the effect. Is that a persistency or is it a nitrogen effect? Uh, so probably a bit of both. Um, but obviously um, the competitive advantage of white clover is that it biologically fixes nitrogen. But if you have your upper limit of 250 kilograms, um, your perennial ryegrass has the competitive advantage there. Um, so obviously you would have seen from Deirdre Hennessy's study here that the clover would have persisted um, in the 150 um, over, I think it's eight years they had that study going now. Um, so and, and then re- referring to the, the 36% um, clover content, that's really high. Um, you know, talk through the management of that. You know, was, was there limitations? Was there an increased level of bloat, say, back when you had 36% versus now where you're at 14%? Uh, yeah, so that would be 36% across the year on average. Um, so it would be much lower in spring. So you could have about 10% in spring um, and then it would increase to even 50 or 60% in the first year in um, September time. Um, so your bloat risks would usually be about when your clover sword is over 40% um, and also when um, the clover uh, hasn't flowered yet. Um, so if you have a high clover um, sward, you would have to do bloat management strategies um, Brian was going to discuss later on. And then just in terms of ideal clover content from what you've seen in your research? Uh, yeah, so from previous literature they would have said at minimum 20%, so 20 25% is the ideal amount um, and from our results we would have seen that too. Uh, so at the 36% in year one, our herbage production was an additional two and a half tonnes compared to the grass only. Um, when that reduced then we only saw about a half a tonne then when the clover percent was under 20 um, percent in the year and then that also affected milk production so milk production in the first three years you're getting over 50 kilograms of milk solids per cow per year um, and then in year four 2017 when we had um, about 14 and a half percent clover we only saw a 20 kilogram milk solids difference just to pick up with you brian in terms of what you mentioned about the you know the history of the soil in terms of it had it was long-term 
uh, tillage, then it was you were taking heavy silage cuts and, you know, the soil fertility wouldn't have been, you know, say at optimum. Is that affecting, was that affecting the grass production in the clover swords? You know, is that, is including clover um, kind of, I suppose, um, substituting in for poor uh, soil fertility? Um, so I'm not sure if, I don't think you could say that it's substituting for poor fi- soil fertility because um, clover actually has a very high requirement for P uh, uh, and K and P especially. So, you know, in order to have good levels of clover, you need good soil fertility as well. Um, but what I would say is in terms of maybe soils that are coming from um, a tillage background where there is low organic matter or um, they're kind of what you'd call hungry swards for nitrogen. Um, those types of swards or soils, um, you will see an initial quite high clover content in them once you um, uh, sow clover in the sward. And I think that's partly some of the reason why we had such a high clover content in the initial years of the experiment, say 2014 and 2015, um, is because of the, the history of the of the ground down in and and back to you then, Breed. You mentioned an additional fifty kilograms or more in terms of milk solids with um, the grass clover swards. Can you talk us through where those fifty kilograms of milk solids are coming from? Is it milk constituents or milk volume? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's from milk volume. Um, so an extra five hundred ninety-seven kilograms of milk uh, per cow per year. Um, the fat and protein content was the same for grass only and grass clover. And then that uh, in turn turned into 48 kilograms of milk solids per cow per year on average over the four years. Um, so it would have been less in year four, but um, on average it was still 48 kilos. What can you attribute that increased production to? Have you, you know, specific elements that are driving that milk production? Uh, yeah, so we're able to put it down to um, an increased voluntary dry matter intake. Um, so about two thirds of the f- increase in milk production is from that. And then about one third then is from uh, your forage quality. Um, so particularly in mid-season, um, when your grass quality uh, reduces, um, when you've um, grass seeding out and things like that, um, your clover um, it keeps its quality throughout the season. Um, it's extremely digestible and it does have um, a higher protein content as well. So you're talking just l- l- less fibre in, in the in the sward. Yeah. And in terms of intake, can you quantify um, the increase in intake where you had clover in the swards? Uh, yeah, so we would have done dry matter intakes um, in Clonakilty um, in uh, 2015, 16 and 17. Um, and it depends on the clover content at the time. So in spring, we wouldn't have seen any. Um, and then when there's a high clover content of over 20 or 25 percent, we would have seen um, up to a kilo um, dry matter intake increase. And I guess, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's that's relative, that's fairly significant in terms of, you know, where a cow is eating 17 kilos a day, if they're getting an extra kilo, yeah. you know, they've covered their maintenance. So that will drive exactly. production. I suppose getting back to you then, Brian, in terms of management and, you know, Breed alluded to it at, at 36% of a clover content in a sward, there would be um, a bloat risk. Um, how did you manage that in the early years? Yeah, so um, bloat is one of the biggest challenges, I suppose, with clover, um, especially when you have high clover contents. Um, and initially, I suppose, the, the way we look at bloat is you have to try and prevent it rather than to treat it. Um, similar to grass tetany or milk fever or some stuff like that, you know. Um, 
So the way we prevented it is kind of two ways. Um, we use bloat oil in the water, um, and that works relatively well in on, on dry days because the cows are drinking the water. Um, basically, you're talking about maybe 20 to 30 mil uh, of bloat oil per cow per day. Um, we use dispensers in the water trucks, um, put them into the trucks 12 hours before the cows go into the paddock um, to make sure that they're getting some bloat oil into their system before they go into the paddock um, and that works relatively well uh, there's obviously it's not 100% effective but in dry weather it, it works relatively well um, and then on on wetter days when the grass dry matter is quite low and they're um, probably not going to be drinking that much we try and allocate a, a quite a a small area for the initial grazing in the paddock um, basically to try and make the cows eat um, some grass and clover because when the cows go into a paddock they can kind of they tend to preferentially graze the white clover um, and that's what causes the bloat so um, the shorter allocation makes the cows eat some grass and clover and basically it takes the edge of hunger off them um, and then you can basically drop the wire and um allow them to graze over the rest of the paddock um so initially like we were doing a good bit of prevention um but we kind of as you get to know the system and get to know how to manage it um you kind of can identify four or five factors that you need to be aware of that might pose a risk of bloat so obviously high white clover content paddocks um changing from a grass only sward to a grass clover sward um if cows are after skinning out a paddock and they're a bit hungry going into a, into a, a paddock with clover in it, there's a higher risk of bloat. Um, like I mentioned, the lower dry matter on the wet days. Um, they're all kind of things you can kind of know to have in your mind when you're grazing white clover swords. If any of these are happening, maybe I need to take those preventative measures to try and uh, reduce the risk of bloat. I think you, you made a really interesting point there and I think that you know where you have cows grazing um, in a grass clover sward you should actually take note like they, they really do go in and select out the clover first and then they get back to the, the grass when the clover is gone. And I suppose just a follow on question you were saying the bloat oil uh, 20-30 mils per cow is bloat oil expensive? It can be a bit expensive yes so um in terms of per cow per day, it's maybe like 25 to 30 cents per head per, per cow per day. Um, so, like, ideally, you don't want to have to put in the bloat oil full time across the grazing season um, because it could be quite expensive then. Um, but like I was saying, initially, that's kind of what we were doing because we, we didn't know how to manage the, the, the swords and, and, and to, to know the risk factors. Um so in the initial years of the experiment, we were doing a lot of prevention. But then as the clover content declined in the sward, obviously you have less of a risk of bloat. And then you can pick and choose when you actually need to use your preventative measures to um, reduce the risk of bloat. And and again, something that Breed mentioned um, that may be considered as a challenge is the persistency of clover and the clover content in the sward. What are you doing to maintain a, a higher level of clover in the sward? So during that during the experiment, um, we actually didn't do do any sort of um, have any kind of in program in set in in situ to try and um, maintain the clover content. We 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 put in the the clover initially, and then we kind of let it 
um, fallout, whatever way it would, um, throughout the experiment. Um, so in terms of we've a follow-on experiment now, and I, I can get into it now if you want. Or uh, Yeah, so we're, we're basically looking at um, grass-only swords versus grass-clover swords at two rates of nitrogen, uh, 150 kilos versus 250 kilos of nitrogen per hectare per year. And um, I suppose we kind of have a nice model. We had a very high clover content and then it's, it's, it's declined. And I suppose what farmers are saying to us is that it's more realistic now to, to basically what we're not reseeding everything. Um, what we're doing is we're having a, we have a reseeding program in place um, to try and basically tackle those paddocks where um, the clover has gone out of them either by oversowing them or doing a full reseed to try and get the clover content back up again um, to maintain a clover content of between 20 and 25% on average. I guess so practically on farms then if, if you want to include clover and swords and they're declining or there's no clover at all you're looking at an oversowing programme to introduce clover. Either oversowing or uh, reseeding yes yeah so the oversowing um, can be quite hit and miss, to be honest with you. It depends on a lot of factors. Um, the type of sward you're oversowing into, you know, those old thick, butty swards, um, the clover seed is going to struggle to establish itself in those types of swards. If you have a, a kind of a sward that's suitable, it's clean, not to, too many weeds, and, um, uh, you know, it's not that thick or butty or dense at the bottom of the sward, you can oversow. Um probably with, you'd want to be going with two kilos of uh, clover seed per acre. Um, really the important thing is the conditions around the time you oversow. So you need a bit of moisture there uh, in the soil um, to allow the clover seed to make some good contact with the soil and establish. And it it can be quite hit and miss depending on what way the weather comes after you oversow. If, you know, if you don't get rain and it gets the ground gets quite hard and dry, uh, this clover seed will struggle to establish. Um, so the conditions at the time of oversowing and then also how you manage it after you oversow. Um, so you really need to be kind of trying to graze it at lowish covers, so 1,100 to 1,200 kilograms dry matter per hectare um, for maybe two or three grazings after you oversow just to allow the light get down to the base of the sward to the clover plant. And also um, maybe even think about trying to reduce the nitrogen by half or something um, for the next two applications after you oversow, just to give the, basically stop the ryegrass uh, growing over and shading the, the clover. Um, and I guess not to labour on the management challenges of clover, but um, again, Breed, you mentioned that there's slow, slow growth in, in clover in the springtime. Um, were there any management tools that you imposed um, in, in terms of counteracting the slow growth in the spring, Brian? It's not so much that the growth is slow in the spring, it's the growth over the winter period that is lower with the grass clover swords. Um, so on average over the four years, um, Winter growth on the grass clover swards was 3 kilograms dry matter per hectare per day compared to 6 kilograms on the grass-only swards. Um, and basically what that means is you have a, a lower open and average farm cover and you have a deficit there. Um, and that deficit has to be filled with bale silage. Um, on average over the experiment, uh, we fed about 80 kilograms more silage to the grass clover cows than the grass-only cows. Um, but that varied from... The initially when we had that very high clover content we had lower a much lower overwinter growth 
and we fed up to 150 kilograms of dry matter silage in the spring to those cows and um, whereas when as clover content declined then the difference in overwinter growth rate also declined so we had less of a deficit in the spring in terms of a difference in open and average farm cover. And and is that just the the, de- the feed deficit in the spring? Would that be the the main challenge there in, in terms of feed? Yeah. So you're looking at high quality bales as a means of feeding animals to fill that hole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, we'd be talking about probably having an extra bale of silage per cow um, on the grass clover treatments um, to make up that deficit there if it does uh, occur. And then to you, Breed, you know, we're looking at, you know, that extra bit of feed maybe in the springtime and, you know, management practices like, you know, introducing bloat oil. Did you see increased costs um, with the clover treatments when you compare them with the grass only treatments? Uh, yeah, we would have. Um, and recently, um, Lauren Schlue modelled on the Moorpark Dairy Systems model um, the costs and uh, net profit that you would get from the two different systems. Um, so the increased costs. Um, so we would have modelled it on a 40 hectare farm and a milk price of 29 cents per litre. And your cost per hectare would be an extra 129 euro on your grass clover. And that and, would and what, what does that include? include uh, yeah, so the cost of your bale silage that you'd be feeding out, um, the labour for feeding out that silage, also the labour that would include uh, spreading the slurry from housing them cows for longer, um, lime and cubicles, um, also labour for grassland management for when you do have your high clover swords, um, and also if you were to include bloat oil. That's really interesting. I, I didn't think he'd put a figure on, on the, yeah. the, the feeding out and the and putting up the strip wires. And then look, looking to profit differences. So you were saying there's an extra €120 Euro incurred with your glass clover swords. And, and what does the profit um, and the bottom line look like? So then your net profit per hectare is an additional 305 then. Um, so even though your costs are an extra 130 approximately, um, including them costs in your net profit is... Um, a 305 extra. And, and talk through what's contributing to that 305 euro. Uh, so essentially it's just the higher milk production from the cows. Um, it completely covers the costs. And then also um, your bale silage, you're not, being, you're not buying it in. Um, it's produced from the platform. So I would have said that we produced an extra 1.2 tonnes um, of dry matter, um, which was mainly a silage then. Um, from the grass clover sorts. That's great, guys. I think we've got a really nice blueprint for dairy farmers going forward if they're looking at a grass clover system, um, you know, in order to drive milk production. You know, um, I, th- I think, you know, in some cases, farmers think they've uh, levelled off in terms of what cows can produce. But I think you've given us a good option to increase um, increase milk production and, and not at, uh, at high costs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Brian McCarthy and Breed McLaren for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge. <laughs>